0: But don't sit down, because we're just going to, since we're already standing, read our text for today. John, or John, I don't know where that came from, Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 65. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! The guards received him with blows. Such a humbling passage. I thank you, Lord, for enduring unjust suffering that we might find redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you can sit down. But again, you might have to stand back. No, I'm just kidding. A lot of interesting things happen in those 13 verses. Um, A lot of unjust things happen in those 13 verses. Last week, we looked at Jesus' arrest, and, um, and really, there was give, no reason given at the arrest. They just seized him, and they arrested him in that betrayal. And now we see that these charges that they have come up with along the way uh, are being presented. And there's a lot of interesting things that happen. They led Jesus to the high priest, it says in verse 53. This location actually kind of matters because uh, coming back to what I was talking to the kids about earlier, this kind of trial, a trial that was to take place in condemnation of a person's life, was to take place publicly. It was to take place on a schedule. It was supposed to take place in the court of the temple. It was supposed to happen Really, all these different kinds of things were supposed to take place. It was basically supposed to be public record. But what time did they do this? Well, it's approaching dawn. Now, I don't know about you, but I have tried to to get business taken care of with government agencies, and you don't find them at 5 in the morning. How about you? You're lucky to find them at 9 or 10 or 3 in the afternoon, whatever. You know, you're, you're lucky to find them open these days after our pandemic hours. But now what we find is that this unjust trial take, takes place as they saw fit, fit for it to happen. Remember, Judas leaves the supper, goes and finds those who would arrest Jesus and then they are ready for him at the house of the high priest, the courtyard of the high priest. It does not say they took him to the temple. Peter, though, follows him there and sits at a distance. Now, this is going to come back to that. Next week, we'll look at what Peter did because it's really one of the more common things we know about the the betrayal and the denial of Jesus that led to his uh, crucifixion is that Peter is a part of witnessing what happens. We're going to come back to that in verse 66, but but Mark intros it here basically to tell us these two things that we're going to read about, the trial and then Peter's denial happen at the same time. We're going to look going to look at one at a time here. So he follows at a distance. Why? Because he doesn't want to be arrested himself. Easy enough to say. I mean, who really wants to be arrested? I mean, even Jesus didn't want to be arrested. Remember, his prayer is, not my will, but yours, Father. Jesus knows this must happen. And really what we end up seeing uh, uh, occur through this passage is that Jesus has come to terms with his fate. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. That's Peter. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. He was a man without sin. They couldn't find a reason to kill him. They really wanted to get rid of him, though. They really were tired of dealing with the the unrest that Jesus was causing. They, they wanted things to go their way. And this guy was messing everything up. And they were, kept getting on, and we continue on, we're going to look at this, so they would get conflicting reports of the things he would say and the things he had done. And one of the things they kept trying to, to condemn was him doing good things on the Sabbath just because he wasn't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Now, God never condemns good actions on the Sabbath, and Jesus continues that along the way. But they had all of these uh, these things that they were trying to bring against him. They bore false witness against him. The, hu- the chief priests and the council were seeking testimony. They found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Now, I have done playground duty. Right? Many of you have been teachers in here. And you have been the ones watching what goes on outside. And, and every once in a while, I would see something off in the distance that you would hear, you know, just raised little kid voices pop up, right? You, you know something's going on there. And you, because of the players in, in the story, have a pretty good idea of what's happening. And then everything breaks loose. And they all come running to the teacher on duty. Well, I was ha- always so happy when that happened. And, and the judge, jury, in prosecution in that moment was the teacher that was on duty. They had to kind of see, get everybody's witness, get everybody here. But a lot of times you kind of knew what happened just because you knew who was involved, right? There was probably a bully. There was probably a kid who just got picked on all the time, and they were waiting to see what happened. Well, sometimes you had to rely on the expert testimony of the kids that were watching. Oh, and let me tell you, you get some stories, right? That's what's happening right here is that they actually saw what was happening. They, the, the, the guy on duty, the, the high priest, was trying to orchestrate what would happen to Jesus, but he couldn't get any of his expert witnesses to say the right thing. They kept contradicting each other. The problem that we had, though, is, is multiple levels, because really it should have been a courtroom kind of case. Should have had some representation happening, some, some sense of defense, and that uh, there should have been a, a prosecuting person, and then the, the high priest should have been an impartial judge. but in this case, what happens is the, ju- the, uh, the high priest ends up as the prosecuting attorney. He, he is the, the judge at hand, and there is no jury. he's just tired of Jesus. And it is unjust and it is unfair. It is the definition of what we would call today in our culture the kangaroo court. Now I did a little research on that term and it, it, it's, it's one of those things that just kind of bubbled up out of culture, right? Um, but one of the things that would happen is that the, the Australians, you remember what Australia was established as, right? It was a prison colony. So all the prisoners were just sent there to live there, as though being kicked out of England was a punishment, or Ireland. Well, once they established their own governance, and really they're still subject to the king and queen, I don't understand everything, how that works, but they're... Their people would go into other parts of the world and they, they came back into California during the gold rush looking to get rich just like all the Americans heading west were. And they would end up having court, courtroom scenes like we would describe as the kangaroo court. There would be mob rule. There would be a fixed trial that the determination was made before the legal, uh, the legal practice ever took place. And that's really what happened here. They skipped all of these steps they were supposed to do because they were tired of Jesus. But this, as we know, as we've looked at throughout, the, throughout all these things, so much happens in fulfillment of that. In Isaiah 53, we see that he was a lamb led to slaughter. What do we know about the picture of the lamb? It's a picture of innocence. It's a picture of one whose stripes, it says, by his stripes we are healed. And we see that come to pass at the end of this passage before they even send him on to Pilate. And we have another trial before Pilate, a little bit different and really in some ways a little more just, which is unfortunate, right? You see the conversation happening there. We're going to come back to that, though. We won't won't stick with that here. The accusation, all of these things that are said. He said, "We heard him; dis- he would destroy his temple made with hands, and in three days, and we'll build another not made with hands." They didn't even know what to do with that. They're obviously misquoting him because it says that they couldn't get their uh, their uh, testimonies to agree with one another. The high priest stood up in the midst in all of this chaos and asked Jesus. He just skips all of the testimonies straight up. He is the one, the prosecuting attorney, asking Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And as we learn from Jesus and also from life experience, sometimes when a question is asked of you that is unfair, what is the best response? Silence. Silence. Because you know, there's just really no way out of it. The priest, not an unintelligent person, he's a, a student of the law. He he's a, he's in his spot for a reason. Caiaphas is there for a reason. Comes to the place and he asks them straight up. Then again, the high priests asked him, "Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah?" Are you the anointed one that we have been waiting for? The son of the blessed. Who is the blessed? It's in all caps in my version here. That's God. They knew who the Messiah was supposed to be. And the answer that Jesus gives them literally knocks them off their feet. If you look at some of the other accounts, even within the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says... I am. Ego, eimi, is in Greek. In Hebrew, it is Yah. I am. When he makes this statement, he receives the title of God. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed And because he knows condemnation is coming, here's where he makes his response, and I'm going to prove it. You will see the Son of Man, his favorite name for himself, the anointed one, the name comes out of Daniel, seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. I am the Messiah, and I'm going to prove it. In that statement, his fate was sealed. The judgment is pronounced. Now, was it untrue? No. Did it violate the law? Yes. there is one whom he was more accountable to than the earthly laws. And that was the truth himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He knew the truth, and he spoke it. Now, Pilate addresses that, and we're going to come back to that later here in a few weeks as we look at uh, the the account and the trial before Pilate. He asks him the question, what is truth? That's a great question, and I'm going to leave it there because that was the question of the day then, and it is also the question of the day now. What's truth? Because our culture today wants to say it's all, it's all relative. We can decide our own truth, but logic defies that argument. How do I know that? I know that because I'm not floating off into space right now. Right? Gravity is real. There are rules that are there that are true. And we can't change them. This is what Jesus tells them. He speaks the truth to them. And it leads to his condemnation. In the next passage, we said, remember the the time and the place here. They are not in the temple courts. They are in the courtyard of the high priest in the high priest's home. Not likely that the high priest was in all his regalia. He was not all fancified and looking pretty. I don't know about you, but I don't look too good at 5 a.m. I mean, I look too good at 11 a.m. I mean, it's what it is. forgot to fluff my hair, right? No, they had been up all night waiting for this moment. The priest tears his garments as this picture of blasphemy, this, this grief, this, this rage that has come because of this ultimate violation of the sacred law. What more, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, these were the people the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders. These were the people that had been following him around for months to years looking for, for this moment to happen. And they all shout their people who knew the scriptures, the leaders of the day, the political and religious influencers could have no more of this man who called himself Jesus. They were done. They condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him cover his face to strike him saying prophesy so the mocking begins it's going to get worse I'm not going to chase it down here I mean we could we could go into the the, the picture of what we find in chapter 15 and in, in the other gospels but we'll get there let's just realize that the most religious people of the day were the ones who brought the first stone. And for me, that's very convicting. We can get so caught up in trying to keep the rules that we cease to love. There was nothing loving happening here. This was all condemnation. Condemnation according to their own personal interpretation of the rules at hand. These leaders did not check their hearts. They didn't really listen to what Jesus had to say. No, there were a few. There was a fellow named Nicodemus who had faith and belief. We had some others along the way, and it says that the whole ruling council stood before him. And, you know, that, that's kind of like saying the entire legislature of Texas is voting on whatever law they're angry about right now. <laughs> Am I right? They probably brought in the people they knew could get the majority vote. It was a fixed trial. And Jesus was condemned to death. And the thing that I come back to over and over when I look at these passages is that was me. If we look at the the religious leaders here, they got so caught up in the rules that they were the ones that were bringing condemnation on the one who was there to save them. And as we go forward, we're going to see it in the crowds as well. Everyone was there. Every person was represented. You had the religious leaders. You had the people that were the Jews. You had the people that were the Romans. You had the Roman leaders. You had Greeks and Jews. You had, uh, you had all of these different things along the way. Everybody is represented somehow. And Jesus receives the condemnation unjustly. But he understands the Father's will that a perfect sacrifice must be offered. Which is why here, when he could have changed one little thing about his story, he continued to speak the truth. He is the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed. And we're going to receive challenges throughout our lives and throughout our world in that same kind of way. Question is, do we believe His Word? Jesus is the most fascinating figure in history. It truly is. Because He fulfilled the law without condemning those who didn't. That conversation I mentioned Mic- Nicodemus a minute ago, but I, I come back to this verse a lot because really honestly it's it, it draws this picture. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The most memorized verse in history. The gospel there. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He's speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, a member of this council. A lack of faith condemned us already. We we are self-condemned. I've said it before and I come back to it again. A loving God does not send people to hell. We've already sent ourselves there. He rescues. He understands that, Jesus understands here that the only way for that rescue to happen is for him to fulfill the sacrifice. It's an amazing place that we find ourselves today. But Jesus, the God of all creation, the agent of it, if you read John, or Colossians chapter 1, even John chapter 1, Jesus allowed himself to receive that penalty. God is holy. He is just. Sin demands a verdict. He received it, even though he didn't deserve it. Why? Because he loves us. The sheep, the lamb, led to slaughter. And here's where the first blow is struck. Struck. They mocked him. They told him to prophesy. What did he do? He stayed silent. The guards received him with blows. Next week, we'll look at Peter's denial. The week following, we'll see how Pilate handles this whole scenario. Because he thinks it's ridiculous as we do. But it had to happen. Because we need to save. This is how he called it to happen. You and I are a lot of things. We're made in the image of God. That means a lot of things. We are not God. God himself receives the verdict. How do you respond to that? I think that's the question on any message that you hear. How do we respond to that? Paul says that we live in a manner worthy of the calling placed upon us in Christ Jesus. Christ pays that penalty so that we can then walk in obedience to Him. None of that is simple. None of that is easy. We're walking in direct opposition to the world as Jesus did here. But it comes with the opportunity to receive the gift that he offers at his return. Which he prophesies here. of Back up in verse 61, I mean verse 62, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. With all authority, he comes to rescue us. Jesus desired for us to be saved, desires for us to be saved, in the present tense. And he desires for us to live out what has been lived, uh, lived and shown here. He calls us to lay down our lives so that we would bless him, just as he blesses the Father here. How do we know that? Because the perfect lamb, offers the perfect sacrifice and a pleasing aroma to our Father's eye. He calls us now to do the same, to lay down our lives, to lay down our preferences to serve Him. Are we willing to take that step of obedience, knowing the hope of His return? See, even here, Jesus talks about the fulfillment of it, his return. Where do you find yourself today? Where will you trust him? Let's pray. Our Father, you are good. You are faithful.